Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 83 of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. We are one week into training camp for the New York Rangers. Today, Wednesday the 28th, is their first day off, but of course, here I am working because it's it's very busy right now, a lot of stuff going on, working on a lot of different stories, and of course, wanted to make sure that I got you guys the podcast on time for Thursday morning. If you hear any squeals or maybe even a baby toot going on, I can tell you the little guy is having lunch right outside of my door, so I promise it's not me. It's him if you hear any background noise right now. We're trying to get it done while keeping him out of daycare today since I'm home and hopefully be able to go to the park and do some playing and stuff later on. I finished my writing for the day. I wrote a thoughts piece on what I've observed, what I feel like I've learned so far through one week of camp. That is now up on loha.com slash sports slash rangers. A lot of different stuff that I felt like I wanted to just get off my chest and put on some paper. So we'll get into plenty of that over the course of the show, I'm sure, but you can definitely go read the story. I would encourage everybody as well. It's been... I would say a, a very encouraging start to camp for the Rangers. Now, of course, that's pretty standard, but but you do feel like the Rangers more than most teams. Everybody has optimism at this time of year, but the Rangers, they have a lot to feel good about. There was a brief scare for a lot of you, I know, on Thursday, their first day on ice last week when Igor Shosturkin was crashed into not once but twice. The first one I wouldn't really call a crashing. Adam Sakura made kind of incidental contact with him when Igor was coming out of the net to play a puck. Igor was kind of checking his lip afterwards, maybe drew a tiny bit of blood, but it didn't look like anything serious. But then later on in practice, there were a couple guys, I believe it was Johnny Brodzinski and Jared Tenorti, who got tangled up in front of the net, end up hitting Igor. And at first, he went down, he got up limping, And he went behind the net and banged his stick up against the glass in frustration and anger. And the whole training center went silent. Everybody's eyes got wide. There were people on the bench who eventually were kind of like, hey, hey, hey. You know, I think there was clearly a a minute or so of concern there. But Igor quickly regrouped, got back in the net, finished a scrimmage, and has practiced every day since, has appeared in a preseason game. So obviously... Nothing to worry about there. But, you know, it was the first scrimmage of camp, first day on ice. And to see something like that happen with your most important player definitely sent a little chill up the spine of quite a few people in the Rangers organization, I'm sure. Good news is Igor is fine. Other than that, Igor's looked good early on. You expect that. Artemi Panarin has looked really good to me. Now, we haven't seen him in a preseason game yet. But as far as the scrimmages and the practices go... I wrote this today. He looks rejuvenated to me. He he spoke after that playoff run last year about feeling like he didn't live up to his standards. He had a really open and honest conversation with us in the locker room on Saturday about basically saying he thought he played too much of a simple game. He was flinging the puck down the boards. He was trying to avoid turnovers. He mentioned that he had made some mistakes with the puck that he felt cost the team. I'm sure that Gerard Gallant felt cost the team. 
and he went into this mode of, of playing it a little bit too safe. And he said, basically, for me to be effective, I need to get out of that mindset. I need to be everywhere. I need to do everything. And in camp so far, I can tell you that is what he, he has looked like. He might technically be playing left wing, but we've seen him all over the perimeter, right wing, inside, from the point, making a lot of those creative and dynamic passes that we know Panarin is known for. So he, to me, ha- has been one of the standouts early in camp, especially during those scrimmages. I think Vincent Trocek looks like a nice fit. I wrote about him for a story that you could find on the website right now where I talked to a few of his teammates. I also talked to him as well. Seems like a really nice down-to-earth guy. And you could see it on the ice, and a couple of the teammates pointed this out as well. Mika Zibanejad said he's shifty. He, he's he's fast. He's definitely, I would say, a better skater than Ryan Strome. But it's not just that. It's it's like these, even when they're in the offensive zone and you're not necessarily looking for straight line speed, he just has this really quick way of, of getting from one point to another and, and avoiding defenders and just making ways to find holes and find open ice. So Trocek, to me, has looked like a good fit. I think you've already seen some chemistry between him, Panarin, and Vitaly Kratsov. I, many of the kids, I would say, not just Kratzoff, but even more so, I think the kid line that goes for Hedl, Lafreniere, and Kako, I think have all looked really good to start this camp. They started, as we talked about last week, on the same line together. That's shifted for some of the preseason games as Gerard Gallant plays around with some different combinations. But each one of those guys has played one preseason game so far, and each one of those guys got at least a point in those preseason games, and, and I think has been really effective. Just... Honestly, I think it's kind of cliche to say, but you hear a lot of the players talk about it and there's a lot of validity to it. The confidence level for these guys, what they did in the playoffs and having multiple years of NHL experience under their belt now, they just look more decisive. They just look more like they have a plan out there and they look like they're playing faster. Now, whether they are technically faster, whether their straight line speed, if you were to time it, is better than last year. I can't say that for sure, but they just look like they're playing with more pace, playing faster, making better decisions. And that's been a really encouraging sign to see. And I've tweeted about this and written about this a couple times now, but the guy to me who by far has been the biggest standout of all the kids is Keandre Miller. He has just been a monster in these practices and in these scrimmages. And you could say the same thing about that Monday night preseason opener against the Islanders where this guy was flying all over the ice. When you, when you put it all together, the skating, the reach, those long strides that he takes with now the confidence that we see him playing with, he's been a really, really tough guy for people to beat. He is just eating up pucks, eating up open ice, and really being more aggressive when it comes to picking his spots to push up in the offensive zone. He scored that shorthanded goal in the preseason game on Monday. He's also been very active offensively at a lot of these scrimmages and practices. To me, even though I would consider last year a breakout season for him, I think another jump is coming this season when we talk about Keandre Miller. So you add all that up, We'll get into maybe some of the concerns and some of the other stuff throughout this podcast. But but those, to me, have been some of the biggest positive signs that I've seen so far in this camp. There's really a lot to like right now. And then you look at the preseason games. The Rangers manhandled the Islanders on Monday night at the Garden. That game had a lot of different contributors to it. Then on Tuesday, 
They go up to Boston. They do ultimately lose in overtime, but that game only featured, by my count, six guys who are expected to be regulars in the lineup, maybe even five, depending on how things shake out. So I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into into that result. I thought there were some encouraging signs in there as well. Now we look ahead. The Rangers have back-to-back games scheduled against the Devils on Thursday and Friday. Thursday will be at the Garden, Friday will be in Newark, and then from there they head out to Rhode Island on their annual team bonding trip. I will be joining them for that, so I will have coverage from Rhode Island while the Rangers are up there doing their thing. They'll probably, you know, last year I think they like went to an arcade, I think they got a round of golf in, I think they did a bunch of different stuff, so I'm sure some of that stuff will be on the agenda again. Now, as far as these next two preseason games against the Devils, Expect to see more jumbled lines, more tweaking of the lineup. Gerard Gallant has told us that he plans to experiment in these first four preseason games. So I think you're going to see some different combinations. I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into what you see as far as the lineup goes on Thursday or Friday. But what Gallant has repeated now is that going into those final two preseason games, which will be next week after they get back from that team bonding trip, That is going to look a lot more like what he expects to be his opening night lineup. And he said this a few times that he has a really good idea of what that is going to look like. I have a feeling we'll talk about that more later on in the program, so I won't go too deep into it now. But you could definitely sense that that things are falling into place for the Rangers and that the coaching staff already has a really, really good idea of what they plan on going with when the October 11th opener rolls around against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So all of this is exciting. I've been feeling your excitement, you know, through the the traffic we're getting on our stories, through the podcast, through email, through Twitter. It's been awesome to see. You love the buzz at this time of year. It's it's just really, really cool to be a part of. I have to tell you guys, though, and I think I mentioned this on either last week's episode or the week before, one of the coolest parts for me so far in this camp, and we're only a week in, but it's been being back in the locker room. We are fully back, unrestricted, no more COVID regulations as far as whether it was Zoom or whether it was a podium setting, needing to request guys if you wanted to talk to them. Now we are just walking into the locker room after practice. It's an open book. Most of the guys are hanging around and you can have casual and personal conversations, interviews, whatever you want with any of them. And and, and that has been really, really refreshing. I've already had more of those casual slash personal conversations, I would say, with some of the guys than I I did all of the previous last two seasons. I mean, some of these guys, guys like Lafreniere or Miller or some of the younger guys, like they were never even in a pre-COVID locker room. So I'm sure this is new to them. I very much appreciate the players kind of welcoming us back in. I'm sure in some ways it was nice to them to have the privacy, but most pretty much all, I would say, honestly, by far, have been really, really welcoming as far as letting us back in there. It gives you an opportunity, obviously, to have a lot of different interviews and gather a lot of stuff that way, but also just to talk about family, to talk about, you know, what you did over your summer and, you know, some of the guys that have babies now, we've been talking about that, or guys that are planning weddings like Dryden Hunt, for example, we've talked about that. I even got to hear from Ryan Reeves 
all about his night out with Ric Flair, which I know some of you probably saw on social media, got a real kick out of that conversation. So, or, you know, football, like whatever is on your mind, like it's so nice to not have it be so transactional. It's just people being able to talk to other people. And of course, from a work perspective, better conversations lead to better information, better quotes, which leads to better storytelling, which ultimately leads to better content for all of you guys. So that I think is a really, really exciting part of this for me. And I feel like I'm going to be able to give you guys some stories and some tidbits that I wasn't able to as much in the previous two seasons. So with all of that in mind, I wanted to spend some time on this week's episode giving you guys a taste of the locker room. So what I've done is I've cut clips from three of the interviews that I did in the past week that I felt like were compelling or interesting for a variety of different reasons. I'm going to play those clips and then I'll come back and talk to you a little bit about what I took away from it. And we're going to start with a conversation I had on the very first day with Mika Zabanajad. And this, to me, was definitely one of the more interesting conversations I've had with anybody so far because Mika was just so open and candid and honest about what he went through during the playoffs last year, the highs, the lows, the pressure, how he dealt with all that, and how he ultimately came through it, in my opinion, as the guy who looked like the Rangers' best skater in front of Igor Shesterkin throughout that playoff run. So here's Mika, and then when we're done with that clip, I'll come back and discuss it a little bit. You learn anything about yourself over the course of that long playoff run? I, you've never been that far in the playoffs before, right? Uh, so I mean, personally, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would say so. Yeah. I think that's um, that's what you want to do, right? Like you, I think for me, it's it was important as a team, but I think individually too, uh, to understand what it takes and what it comes to those type of games and play a lot of games in a short short amount of time. Um, just to, to little meaningful plays and um, how you can make an impact on the, the game without getting the headlines and everything like that. So I think that's, you know, just, I think, trusting myself. Um, obviously, uh, first first bit of that playoff, especially against the Pittsburgh series, I knew I, I, I didn't come up at the level I wanted to. Um, I got to hear about it too, so a lot of questions about it. So I think just the way I responded from that, um, and I don't think it would have been possible without the guys in here. Uh, I don't think anyone, you know, you don't go through anything by yourself, even though it may, m- makes you feel like you're alone in the in the whole world sometimes when things are not going for you. Uh, this team, the, the way we've been with everyone, I think that um, it wouldn't work without them. Do you think we made too much of that? Like, especially the Pittsburgh, the Crosby stuff. Or was that was that a natural thing you had to overcome? No, I mean, I, I think I'm probably, I did. I took it a little bit too much. I, I worried maybe a little bit too much what you guys were saying. And you guys were hyping this up, I think. And, and that kind of caused me doing it. Um, and I think what you saw towards the end was me just playing my game. Uh, I didn't try to adjust to anyone else. And I think that's... Um, that's again. That's I think it's a, a lesson for me. And um, even though I'm not the youngest here, I still I feel like every year I get something out of it. And I think that's the way it is in life. I think every year you learn uh, as a person, as a player, and, and uh, you try to grow. So 
not ashamed of admitting that you know took a toll on me. But I think that was uh, was good for for next time it comes around. All right, there you have it. That was Mika Zabanajad on the opening day of camp, being really reflective and candid and very vulnerable in some ways. I thought uh, speaking about what he took away from that playoff experience last year. It's not every guy is going to admit that he's reading what reporters are writing or paying attention to what people are saying on social media or following the chatter in a situation like that. But the fact is that that most of them do. And, And Mika is a pretty genuine guy. Mika is the type of guy who is going to be a straight shooter when it comes to that. And I I really appreciated his honesty with some of those answers that you heard. And he said, listen, I'm not ashamed to admit that it took a toll on me, that that he was putting a lot of pressure on himself and it got into his head, this whole matchup with Sidney Crosby and and could Mika go toe-to-toe with him? Was Mika on that level? Ultimately, what I think we were witnessing and what he realized is that he was deferring too much and that he's good enough to go head-to-head with almost any center in this league. And he had to go into it with that mindset. He had to look at it like, I'm going to give you my best and see if you can handle it. Not, I need to figure out how I'm going to defend you or I need to figure out how I'm going to counter you. So a lot of people around the team have talked about that. We've heard Gerard Gallant talk about it. We've definitely heard Chris Kreider talk about it. You guys probably know at this point that Kreider is not a big fan of talking about himself. But if you bring up Mika, which also happened in Kreider's first interview or first scrum set, uh, setting at this training camp, didn't really want to talk about his 50 goals, didn't want to talk about any of the individual accolades. But as soon as you brought up Mika, Kreider lit up and gave a really eloquent, thoughtful answer. And he said, listen, we have to remind Mika. It's on us to remind him how good he is because we know that when he's on top of his game, Kreider called him our horse. And to me, what you saw from Mika Zibanejad in the playoffs, once you hit game six, now granted, game six Crosby did not play. That was the game after he took that hit from Truba, whether it was a concussion or whatever it might have, you know, whatever you want to call it. He didn't play in that game and Mika had a huge breakout game. In some ways, I think he needed that to just kind of let loose and, and play freely. But then Crosby comes back in game seven and Mika thoroughly outplayed him in that game, ends up scoring the tying goal with less than six minutes remaining to force overtime. You guys know what happened from there. And from that point forward, Mika Zibanejad took off. He was excellent in the Carolina series, excellent for the most part in the Tampa series. The whole team kind of trailed off at the end of that series. But again, to me, hands down, Mika was the best forward, and I would say the best skater. Adam Fox is also really good throughout the playoffs, but I would say the best skater in front of Igor Shesterkin throughout that playoff run. You you saw him come into his own. You saw him reach a new level of confidence. And to think about what goes on mentally, what goes on behind the scenes, what goes on in the head of these players, the physical part of it is one thing. All of these guys have tremendous amounts of talent, varying levels, of course, different strengths, different weaknesses. We can break all that down and we can talk about all that. Mika has a lot of natural ability and a lot of gifts when it comes to playing this game. But I think what's harder to see is what it takes for them 
emotionally and mentally to get into the right headspace where they can perform at their best. And having a conversation like that with Mika, I think is really revealing, really interesting and fascinating, quite frankly. And that's why I wanted to share it with you guys, just to hear a glimpse uh, of what he talked about, hear him be vulnerable, hear him admit that he had difficulties, that, that they were there were bad times for him early on in that series where he was sort of letting all the stuff that was going on around him get to him. And then ultimately having the strength to persevere and get past it and, and really make a name for himself around the league, I think, in a way that he hadn't before. He, he definitely made a lot of waves and was getting talked about with the way that he was scoring at the end of that 1920 season, right before the pandemic started and the league shut down, you many of you will remember he was on a fairly unprecedented hot streak when it came to scoring goals on that stretch. And I think that really put him in the national spotlight in a lot of ways. But this playoff run that Mika had, I think, opened eyes even more so. And, and you just got an idea of, of what went into that, what he was dealing with at the time. And to me, that is one of the coolest things and hopefully what we'll be able to share more of now that the locker rooms are back open. So with that, we're going to get to another conversation. Now, this one is going to be with Vitaly Kratsov, who you guys know the drama, you know the history there. He is is a pretty decent English speaker, but I, I think especially because he knew he was going to have to address some difficult questions about what went on last year. Him, and not only him, it was also Igor Shosturkin and Artemi Panarin did the same thing. They brought in a translator on Saturday uh, to to do the interviews and and do kind of a bigger setting with these guys and just get that initial interview out of the way. Now, I've already had at least one other conversation with Vitaly in English to the side, not necessarily, you know, with the cameras rolling and the translator there, which I think is going to be beneficial over the course of the season to kind of get to know him a little bit better and get a feel for what makes him tick. But this conversation you're about to hear right now is me asking him a question. And this I should preface by saying came after a series of questions in which, you know, reporters were kind of prying and trying to get him to talk about everything that happened last year. And he finally, I thought, with this answer, opened up and probably gave his best answer of the whole press conference. And I cut out the part where he responded to me a little bit in English, basically said, you know, these are tough questions for me to answer. And then he went to Russian. I cut out the part where he's speaking in Russian and you're just going to go right to from my question to hearing the translator speak and translate what Kratsov said. So let's play that clip now. What did it mean to you to come in here and uh, get a chance right away to play with Artemi and Trocek? I definitely made a lot of noise previously, so there's kind of this necessity to redeem myself a little bit. Um, but it's more about it's more about putting the work. Obviously, it's not about what anybody says. Um, everybody in the locker room understands kind of what's going on. Uh, they, it's all about mutual respect. Uh, I just want to do what everyone else is doing, put in the work, get on the team, um, and do my part. Okay, that was Vitaly Kratsov, of course, through a translator, speaking about this the quote that really stood out to me, and I know a lot of other people, was necessity to redeem myself. And what I took away from that conversation more than anything else was that he was, admittedly, he said this a couple times, very nervous. I think he was really leery of 
of saying the wrong thing. I think he did not want to generate headlines from that conversation, even though inevitably I know I intended on writing about it. And because, let, listen, let's face it, he hadn't spoken to us in a year and a lot of stuff went on and we needed to address those things. It, we weren't going to be able to go into the year and just pretend that all that stuff didn't happen. What I said to him and what I can also say to you guys is these are questions that we need to ask. We need to get his perspective. We need to try to gain a better understanding of why things went down the way that they did with him returning to Russia, not going to Hartford and and all the stuff that went down, looking for a trade and then ultimately coming back. Number one, he deserves the opportunity to tell his side of the story. And number two, these are questions in a lot of ways that have lingered for a year. So we're not just going to go into the season and, and ignore them. What I said to him is, this is after the conversation was over, is, look, I'm not going to hammer you with these questions all season long. Like, this isn't something that we need to beat over the head constantly. But these are questions that we needed to ask. These are questions that that you needed to answer in a lot of ways and a lot of people wanted to hear. And and now that you've done that, now I think it'll be easier to to move on and, and really focus on the hockey. And that was... The overwhelming takeaway from this interview is that he wants the focus to be on a hockey. He is clearly very uncomfortable with how he has been portrayed, with the sense out there that he's this entitled brat who didn't get what he wanted and, and, and kicked up this big fuss. You guys know that I believe the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I do believe that the Rangers made some very glaring errors in the way that they handled him. I also think that he either made some bad decisions or got some bad advice along the way. I think it was a combination of the two. But listen, this is a 22-year-old kid. He was 21 at this time last year. A lot of these young kids, especially first-round draft pick type of kids, are used to grow up being told how great they are, how they're going to go to the NHL and do this and that. And dealing with failure, dealing with disappointment, I think more now maybe than ever has become this thing that's very difficult to handle, especially in the age of social media. And he touched on that a few times in this interview where he said he was bothered by the things that were being said about him on the internet. He said a lot of those things weren't true, but he did not want to go into specifics because again, what I sensed overwhelmingly from him is that He just wants to put his head down, quietly go about his business, quietly do his work, and get noticed and earn his spot through what he does on the ice. He very, very, very much expressed that he wants to avoid drama. And you heard it with some of the things that he said right there. I just want to work. I just want to be a part of the team. I want to earn my spot. I want to do my job. And you know, maybe he was coached on some of those things, but I got a very genuine impression from him, especially with how, how nervous he was about everything. He just really seemed to me to not want to say the wrong thing, to make sure that he avoided controversy, while also expressing that he had some regret and that his goal from this point forward is to put that behind him and, and let his play speak for itself. So at this stage... I know there are some people who don't trust that things are going to go well. I know there are still plenty of critics out there, but I believe that you have to look at this season as a clean slate. Now, is it the final straw? Is this the last chance? That's probably fair to say, but he's been doing all the right things 
as we've talked about already, coming in early. I've seen him multiple times during this camp on the side, talking to coaches, seems to be seeking advice. He said specifically the reason that he came here early was because he wanted to work hands-on with the Rangers coaches so that they could correct things. Because remember, he didn't play a lot last year. He had the whole disagreement with the Rangers, went back to Russia, never got any games in the AHL, never got any games in the NHL. He got hurt for a little while in Russia, didn't end up playing all that many games in the KHL. So this is a guy who has not played a lot of hockey in the last year. So he said it was important to him to come here, get in the best shape possible, get as ready as he can be, and receive some coaching ahead of time to put himself in the best position to make the team now. And obviously we see that the Rangers appreciate that because they opened up camp with him on that second line with Panarin and Trocek. So now I think it's fair to move forward. I think it's fair to judge what you see from this point forward. I'm certainly not going to harp on what happened in the past anymore. And I think that he was contrite. I think that he was genuine. And I think that I really came away from that thinking, wow, you know, this guy is very much scarred, I think, from what happened. I think some of the things that he read online specifically were very hurtful for him. And I think now he wants to do everything that he can to not make any waves, to put that stuff behind him, and to just go out and try to live out his dream, which has been delayed for various reasons. Again, fault on both sides. But now he has this opportunity in front of him, and he definitely seems like he does not want to screw it up. So that's the impression I got from Kratzoff, and that's why I wanted to play that clip for you guys. And now we will get to the final clip from the locker room access. And this one comes from after the preseason game, the opener, on Monday at MSG. The first star of the night that night was Brennan Othman, who you guys know we ranked as the number one prospect in the organization right now. Othman, one of his very first shifts, takes a hit from behind. Now, Gallant downplayed it after the game, said it wasn't a very big hit. It knocked him down. You know, you could talk about how big of a hit it was. I guess we could debate that. But it knocked him down and gave him a bloody nose. He got right back in there, though, didn't miss any time. Very next shift, Othman, I believe it was Robin Salo from the Islanders, who Othman put a pretty good hit on behind the Islanders' net, knocked him over. I thought that was a really great sign of a kid who had just taken a lick, who had a bloody nose, and basically went out there looking to redeem himself and wasn't scared to mix it up after that. And then later on in that first period, he ends up with a pair of assists. Of course, the second one was the most memorable. That was a shorthanded goal where he set up Keandre Miller. And if you watch that replay, Othman chases down the puck on the right wing, and then he has the patience and the wherewithal to not immediately look to make the pass or immediately look to take a shot. There was a trailing defender, and Othman sort of paused, played it perfectly, let the defender outrun him, which opened up the passing lane, and then he put it right on Miller's tape for the finish. So really, really good night for Othman and had a chance to talk with him about it in the locker room after the game. Do you learn anything about yourself, on, even though it's a preseason game, like just being in Madison Square Garden, wearing the Rangers uniform, playing against NHL players? Like, Do, do you feel like that, that experience, what do you take away from that as far as your growth and what you're learning? Uh, you can't get starstruck, I think, like I said. Um, I spoke to Schneids yesterday, actually, and you, know, you ask him questions. He's two years older than me. We shared a 
shared a you know preseason last year together, and I think Schneider's a great person. Came down with him and said, "How's it like playing with all these you know stars you dream about playing with and against?" And he said, "You can't really, you can't really think about that. You kind of just got to play." And that's kind of what I thought tonight. And a lot of the older guys helped me cry, helped me a lot tonight. And um, you know, I just learned that you gotta you gotta continue to play a 200 foot game, and you know, those 10 feet on at your blue line is super important. It's super crucial, especially against a good team, and especially you know if it's a uh, you know, a top team like uh, Colorado or Tampa Bay or the Leafs or stuff like that. I'm just spitballing here, but you know, you just gotta, you know, do those little tiny things. Right? Yeah, it's points are great and everything, but it's a little play like chipping it out is is, is more important, I think. There you have Brennan Offman, the Rangers' first round pick from 2021. Of course, everyone wants to know what this all means for Offman. Does this increase his chances of making the team? We'll, we'll, we'll discuss all that briefly. But I, as far as what you just heard from Othman, a couple things stood out to me. Number one, he's pretty poised and pretty good at answering questions and dealing with the media, which I think will, will be helpful for him down the line and certainly make him an interesting guy to talk to. And I was also fascinated by the way that he talked about his relationship with Braden Schneider, who... This is a guy who was only drafted one year ahead of him, but Schneider played combined between the regular season and playoffs 63 games with the Rangers last year. And now I've had a couple different guys mention sort of leaning on him for advice, asking him what it's like. Matthew Robertson, defenseman who's competing for a spot right now, also made comments about talking to Schneider about his experience and what to expect and, and all that. So I thought that was pretty neat to hear from Othman that he had been picking Schneider's brain about how he handled being on the ice with these guys that I'm sure these kids grew up watching and idolizing and admiring. And, and now here you are and you're, you're face to face with them in an NHL game, whether it's on your team or a guy that you're playing against. So that I thought was pretty cool. Again, a, a memorable night for Othman, but I, I will tell you guys this. And I wrote about this in my column today. As much as that was encouraging to see, I don't think that changes the plan for the Rangers and Othman. It's been this way, I think, really all summer, probably for a year or so now, that the expectation is Othman will return to the OHL. He will once again captain the Flint Firebirds, which is the team where he had 50 goals with last year and he took them on a pretty good playoff run. Uh, We've talked about how it's unfortunate that he doesn't have the eligibility to play in the AHL this year because that would be a logical next step for him. But as far as the Rangers are concerned, their top nine right now, specifically because Kratzoff is going to get an opportunity. Kratzoff is a couple years older than Othman, has been sort of chomping at the bit to get that opportunity, as you heard, and now is in a position where he can't be sent anywhere else. If the Rangers want to send him to the AHL, he's going to go on waivers and he's definitely going to get claimed by another team. The Rangers are going to give him a spot. They already have Hedl and Kako and Lafreniere, who are who are all young guys. Their top nine, at least four of their top nine, the way that it looks right now, are going to be 23 years old or younger. I don't think at this point for a team that's hoping to be in Stanley Cup contention that you're going to make it five of your top nine players who are that young, especially throwing a 19-year-old like Brennan Offman into the mix. I've asked around about this, especially when I was writing about our prospect rankings. 
most people that I've spoken to, while they believe that Othman's future is as a solid middle six winger in the NHL who brings scoring and brings an edge to his game, as we saw on that preseason opener on Monday, his time is not quite now. Most people don't feel like he's quite ready yet, whether it's physical maturity, emotional maturity, rounding out his game, becoming a better defensive player in particular. It just seems like it would be a rushed decision if the Rangers tried to do that now. And also consider this. If if you don't put him in the NHL this season, you can slide his entry-level contract back one year, which means it wouldn't start until next season, and then you would have three years of him being on a very reasonable annual salary. And for a Rangers team that's expecting to have to pay a lot of young kids whose contracts are going to be coming up in the next year or two and are going to be due for some, in some cases, some pretty hefty raises, the longer that they can push that can down the road with Othman, the better it's going to be for them as far as rounding out their lineup and being able to fit under the salary cap. So that is another added benefit to waiting a year. Now, you know, if a bunch of injuries happen and Othman is lighting it up in the OHL, could that plan change? I'll never say never. But my expectation is that he will be going back to the OHL at some point in the next week or two. I think he'll hang around for a little while longer. I do think the Rangers value getting him experience with these NHL regulars right now. He'll probably play in, I would think, maybe at least one more preseason game if I had to guess. But as far as him making the team, I, I, I do not think that's going to happen, even though I know a lot of fans out there are, are anxious to see it. So probably going to have to be a little more patient on that one. All right, with that, we are going to end this segment of the program, and I'll be back in just a moment to answer some of your Twitter questions. Okay, let's dive right into this week's mailbag questions. And there are a lot. You guys really packed the mailbox today. I just glanced through a bunch of them, and I saw some some repetitive stuff. There was definitely a lot of questions about the same guy, so I'm going to try to hit on a few of those. A lot of them were about Kratzoff and Othman, who we just talked about both of those guys. So I'm not going to go there, but there are also a lot of questions about the competition for the fourth line and the bottom of the roster forwards, and specifically a lot of questions about Gustav Ridal, who is the center that the Rangers signed out of Sweden over the summer. He's 28 years old, so it's not a kid or or a young prospect by any stretch of the imagination. He's played his entire career in Sweden up to this point, But the Rangers like a lot of things about him and see him potentially as a solid fourth line center option. And they convinced him to come over here and give it a shot. So a lot of people want to know, is he going to make the team? Does he have a shot of making the team? And it seems like a lot of you are impressed by what you've seen so far. And I can tell you, if you're one of those people, you're not alone. The Rangers, from my understanding, are also impressed by what they've seen so far. Gerard Gallant spoke about him recently and seemed to speak pretty highly of him. I had a player, actually, I won't tell you exactly who, but I had a player the other day say to me, have you seen that guy skate? He, he's, he's a lot faster than I thought, especially for a big guy. He's like six foot three. He's a pretty big guy, over 200 pounds. And and this player was like, you know, I think he's, I think he's one of the faster guys here. He's a really good skater. 
So that was interesting. He moves well for a big guy, definitely physical, isn't afraid to mix it up. I'd heard that right when they signed him. Kills penalties. You, you know Gerard Gallant is going to want that from anybody who centers the fourth line, especially given the guys that the Rangers have lost on the penalty kill this offseason. The list is long. I actually was talking to Gerard Gallant about it the other day. You, you, Andrew Kopp, Tyler Mott, Kevin Rooney, Ryan Strom, Greg McKegg, all of those guys to varying degrees killed penalties for the Rangers last season. And the only guy that they signed who you know definitely will kill penalties for this season is Vincent Trocheck. But beyond that, he had a lot of question marks. Now, Gallant did say that he's going to give both Kako and Lafreniere looks on the penalty kill in the preseason. And it sounds like at least one of those guys will do it come the regular season. I think Kako is probably the favorite. But even if you include Kako, Zabanajad and Kreider both killed a lot of penalties for the Rangers last year. Obviously, Gaudreau, obviously Trocek. That's still only five guys. The Rangers are going to want at least one more. And either Ridal or the guy that I think he's directly in competition with, Ryan Carpenter, another guy the Rangers signed, a veteran fourth-line center type over the summer, I believe only one of those two guys is going to make the team. And if you look at the competition, I do believe there's a valid argument. And we're only a week into camp. There's still a few weeks to go. But if you look at that competition... I do think Ridal has kind of outplayed Carpenter so far. You know, extremely small sample size. We're talking about a week here. But I, I, I've noticed Ridal more than I've noticed Carpenter. I'll say that. But here's the big disclaimer. Ridal is exempt from waivers, which means the Rangers can send him to Hartford without the risk of another team claiming him. On the other hand, that does not apply for Carpenter. If the Rangers sent Ryan Carpenter to the minors, he would have to clear waivers and then you'd run the risk of another team grabbing him. So for that reason, among others, Carpenter's more of a veteran guy. Carpenter's played in the league. The Rangers targeted him early in the offseason in large part because of his history with Gerard Gallant. They went go back to Vegas together. Gallant has spoken highly of him as well. I, I do believe that Ryan Carpenter is going to make this team and Ridal is going to go to the AHL. But Ridal, if he plays well in the AHL, absolutely could be in the consideration or the conversation for a call-up at some point this season. Now, if, if we say Carpenter is going to make the team, that, in my mind, locks in 12 forward spots. And that's including Ryan Reeves, by the way. I've, I see a couple questions in here about Ryan Reeves. The Rangers, I do not believe, are going to cut him. Gerard Gallant said the other day that when they were writing up their lineup in the summertime, they have Ryan Reeves in it. He said he's an important guy for us and he will play games for us. Now, Gallant did stop short of saying he would play every single night. He said, you know, I'm not going to make any predictions as far as that. But he he made it sound like you can definitely expect to see Ryan Reeves in some games for the Rangers. I would think maybe if there's an opponent where they want to add a little more speed into the lineup, you could see Reeves coming out in that situation. But my guess is that the opening night lineup will include Ryan Reeves. My guess for the opening night lineup is probably a fourth line of Barclay Gaudreau, Ryan Carpenter, and Ryan Reeves. That would be my best guess at this point. But the Rangers are going to need to keep at least one more forward. And to me, that final slot is probably going to come down to either Dryden Hunt or Jimmy Vesey. And this, to me, is a really interesting 
competition right now. Hunt is a guy, you might look at the stats and be surprised, but he played 76 games for the Rangers last year. He played a ton of hockey for them. He obviously earned Gerard Gallant's trust. I think we can all agree that he was in a lot of ways out of place playing up on that second line with Artemi Panarin and Ryan Strom. But as a fourth liner, you know, I don't think that that experience on the second line should cloud everybody's judgment. As a fourth liner, I do think he can be an effective guy. I think he's a pretty good four checker. He definitely brings physicality. I think he's one of the higher ranking guys in the league as far as hits per 60. I think he's a good skater. I think that's a little underrated. I think he's probably one of the faster forwards on the team. And I think there are some things to like about him. Now, the knock on Hunt is going to be he does not kill penalties. On the other hand, Jimmy Vesey does kill penalties. Now, this is not the Jimmy Vesey that some of you will remember when he was a young prospect for the Rangers and people had kind of high hopes for him. Vesey, as he admitted when I spoke to him the other day, has had some rough years. Since the Rangers traded him to the Buffalo Sabres three years ago, he's bounced up and down. He hasn't really been consistent in in, in any lineup anywhere except last year with New Jersey. I think he played 60-something games, and he spoke about reinventing himself. He went from a guy who I think his career high is right around 20, maybe it was 19 goals in a season. He went from a guy who was considered, you know, a forward who could chip in some goals, chip in some offense, to a guy who was struggling to do that and realized that if he wanted to prolong his career, he was going to have to become a better defender. He was going to have to become more physical and he was going to have to become a a penalty killer. And Chris Drury specifically mentioned that their scouts thought VC did a really good job with the Devils last season on the penalty kill. So that's why they brought him in on a PTO. He's not guaranteed anything, but he's looked pretty good in these first two in these first two preseason games. He had the first goal of the preseason for the Rangers against the Islanders on Monday night. I, I think he's been a very active presence. I think he's been aggressive with his shot, been used on the PK. He's been pretty solid defensively. He's not a blinding fast skater by any stretch, but I think he's a guy who has worked really hard to redefine his game and become that fourth line type of player. And I think the Rangers definitely see value in him. So it's shaping up to be a little bit of a tough call if you're going to have to pick between Hunt and VC. Now, we've talked about the salary cap stuff before. If the Rangers carry a full 23-man roster, then they can fit 14 forwards, in which case they could keep both Hunt and VC. The problem with that is not that it would push them over the salary cap. Now, VC, the exact number of his cap hit, we don't know it yet because the way that a PTO works is if he makes the team, the Rangers would then have to negotiate a contract with him. But typically, those things fall around the veteran minimum. The veteran minimum right now is 750000 and the Rangers, quite frankly, couldn't afford more than that. So it would probably have to be that. If you factor in an extra 750000 on the projection that I put out there a few times, that leaves them with a little over 180000 in salary cap room. It's tight, but it fits. The, the problem with that is not that it would push them over the salary cap, but that when we talk about the accrual process, which I know we've discussed before, 
that means that each day that you're under the cap, you add a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And then when you get to the trade deadline, the hope is that you've added enough to where you could go out and acquire a player that you might want or need. If the Rangers started the season with 180,000, let's say, and maintain that number. Now, you know, each day that you have a different number, that would change the accrual. But if they maintained that, then the the math works out where you basically have to multiply by four, and that gives you the amount of space that you have at the at the trade deadline. So if you multiply 180,000 by four, the Rangers are looking at like seven, 800,000 in cap space by the trade deadline. Maybe they could squeeze a little bit more out of it, but that's not going to be enough to get you an impact player. So if they go the opposite route, which is what I believe they'll do, and Chris Drury said they're open to doing, and carry 22 players instead of 23 and only keep, let's say, Hunt, well, then they'd go into the season with about 930000 in cap space. And by the time they get to the trade deadline, they'll be able to accrue let's say 4 million in cap space. Now 4 million, maybe 5 million if they do some cap gymnastics and you know send guys down on off days and that kind of thing. They could even push it over 5 million if they do that. Then 4 or 5 million will get you a, a pretty good player at the trade deadline. And I do believe that when you look at this roster right now, especially the top nine forwards, the Rangers are giving Sammy Blay a look in there right now. But ultimately, that could be a position of need. And they might be just based on what we see on paper and a little bit of camp so far, they could be one forward away from really feeling like they have a team that can go on a run. We saw how valuable that was for them last season. So to me, carrying 22 instead of 23 makes a lot of sense because it'll it'll put you in a better position at the trade deadline. It will give you a lot more flexibility. But on the other hand, the Rangers might look at their depth and say, well, if an injury happens or, you know, stuff is definitely going to come up throughout the season, we would really like to have both Hunt and VC as options. If they cut one of them, could they clear waivers and end up with Hartford and, and be depth for the Rangers there? Sure. But you run the risk of another team claiming them. So I think that is going to be the internal discussion right now for the Rangers is do we carry 23, sacrifice the cap space for more depth right now? Or do we carry 22, potentially lose one of those players, but put ourselves in a better position going toward the trade deadline? To me, I would lean toward the latter. I believe the Rangers will probably lean toward the latter. But the other thing I'll say about carrying 23 is if they did that, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to carry 23 for the whole season. They could start with 23 and then see what happens after a couple weeks and make another decision from there. So if they start with 23, it doesn't mean they're going to have no cap space at the trade deadline. They could maneuver things differently and and accrue more later on in the season after you know a few weeks or a month or whatever it might be. It's not like they're setting anything in stone by carrying 23 off the bat, which is why I think it'll be a possibility that's discussed. But at the end of the day, I think 22 makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. And that's why I'm kind of looking at it as a battle right now between Hunt and VC. There are other players in the mix The Rangers do seem to have some pretty decent depth right now when it comes to that fourth line and the options that they have there. But I believe you can kind of look at it like Carpenter and Ridal are are competing for a center spot. And Carpenter has the edge because he would have to clear waivers and Ridal doesn't. And then I think the 13th spot, 
if they're going to go with 13, comes down to Hunt and VC. And I think that that will be a very, very difficult decision based on everything that we've seen so far. So that's my read on the situation right now. Again, they could end up keeping both if they decide to carry 23. But I think that their plan for most of the summer, looking at their cap situation, has been to carry 22. We'll see if a guy like Jimmy Vesey forces them to rethink that. All right. Final question for this week's episode comes from Eddie Nathan, who wrote, professional question. Beat writers often do personal interest stories on the same players. Is that due to access to the player or recommendations from the PR staff? I'm just wondering how it all works. Well, Eddie, this episode, as we touched on earlier, we devoted a good chunk of time to talking about the locker room access and playing some clips from those interviews. In the past, specifically during the COVID seasons, the last two seasons, a lot of times, unless we wanted to go off in our own direction and potentially write something that didn't have any quotes in it or had very limited quotes in it, a lot of times we did end up, I think, unfortunately, writing similar things on certain days because we were interviewing the same players every day. It was the same two or three guys that we all had access to on a given day that were brought out to the podium and everybody heard everybody's questions, everybody heard the same answers, and we were all working off the same quotes. Now, what I think or what I should, what I know I should say, is that moving forward with this locker room access and the ability to have one-on-one conversations every day, pull guys aside. Now, there's still going to be situations where there's a player of interest that day and multiple reporters talk to him at the same time. Like that interview with Kratzoff was definitely a scrum situation that you guys heard there. But the conversation I had with Mika, I was able to talk to him for a while on my own. And I've had a lot of those different conversations in the, in the first week of camp. And that opens up the possibilities. That, I'm hoping, will make all of the content more unique. And I think that benefits you guys, quite frankly, because you won't be reading the same thing in the same place all the time. Hopefully, you'll, ha- you'll have some options. Of course, I, you know, my opinion is you should always start with what I write every day. But I, I respect a lot of the beat writers on this beat with me. And you know, I think it'll be great for all of us to not feel like we're pigeonholed each day. So I think that's going to be a real added benefit of this locker room stuff. Now, with that said, you know, are there certain players that I'm sure, you know, I want to write about and my colleagues also want to write about? And could that lead to, let's say, multiple features on Mika Zibanejad? Of course, he's one of the star players on the team. It's not like I'm going to be the only person who talks to him. But I think because the conversations are happening separately in a lot of instances, you'll see different quotes, you'll see different angles, you'll see different anecdotes and different things that pop up in those stories. Uh, I definitely think the, the story that I wrote about Mika, for example, that, that came out earlier this week, I'd like to think there were a lot of unique elements in that. I'm sure Mika talked to multiple people about the learning experiences that he had in the playoffs, but I spoke to some teammates like Philip Heedle, uh and Vincent Trocek specifically. I wanted to get Trocek's perspective as somebody who competed against Mika and, and have him talk a little bit about what made Mika hard to play against. So you'll be able to find different elements like that. I, I think moving forward, you know, you might have been accustomed to seeing a lot of the same stuff because we were only able to talk to a couple of the same players every single day. But I think moving forward, you're going to see a lot more variety. And I think that not only benefits the reporters, I think it will definitely benefit all of you who like to read and listen and do all that. So with that, 
That will end this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a fun one. I was glad to be able to share some of that behind the scenes stuff. Next couple of weeks, I think we're probably going to go back to the normal guest format. I've got a couple of people I've been talking to about potentially coming on the show to preview the season, get you guys ready for that regular season opener. So I'm looking forward to that. I will be in Rhode Island on Monday and Tuesday for the team bonding trip. So I'll definitely have some coverage coming for you guys from that as well. And then I'll be home Tuesday night. I'll record the next episode on Wednesday next week and it'll be coming out for you. Or actually, no, I think the Rangers have a preseason game next Wednesday. So I actually might not be recording until Thursday and releasing on Friday. So be aware of that possibility for next week. I have to double check the schedule. I probably should have before I started recording this, but I'm pretty sure they have a game next Wednesday. So if that is the case, I will probably wait until Thursday to record. And I will definitely let you guys know on Twitter and all that. So either way, we'll have an episode for you guys next week. But until then, enjoy these preseason games. Enjoy these nice, beautiful weekends of fall. The weather has been great recently. I've been loving it. I'm actually about to take the little guy to the park right now and then have some dinner with the family. So take care, be well, and I will talk to you next week.